This episode of The Yarn is sponsored by Heinemann and their professional book, Every Kid a Writer. Colby talked with author Kelly Boswell about the book. Every Kid a Writer is a response to the question I probably hear the most from teachers with whom I work. And that question is, what about those kids who just don't like to write? So in this book, I set out to explore this topic a little further and really answer the question, why do writers in some classrooms seem reluctant while students in different classrooms dig into writing with enthusiasm and joy? And what I noticed is that the environment and the community we create in the classroom, along with some really specific and yet really simple teaching strategies, um, have an enormous impact on how students engage with writing. Writing is such an important skill. Every Kid a Writer provides six field-tested strategies to get everyone in the classroom writing with energy and enthusiasm. Visit Heinemann.com to learn more and order a copy. Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Colby Sharp. You probably know Karen Parsons for her role as Hilary Banks on the show The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In this episode of The Yarn, I chat with Karen about her 2019 middle grade novel, How High the Moon. In this episode, Karen talks about her hope for the book, her relationship with her mother, and she even drops a few nuggets about her time as an actress. This interview was recorded in the fall of 2019 at the National Council for Teachers of English annual conference in Baltimore. It's time to unravel How High the Moon. My name is Karen Parsons. My book is How High the Moon. My book uh, takes place in the 1940s, um, 1943-44, and it follows Ella, who's an 11-year-old girl growing up in a little town outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and she's a light-skinned girl, light-skinned black girl being raised by her grandparents, living with her cousins there in this small town. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, the Jim Crow South. Her mother, who is black, lives up in Boston. She's trying to be a jazz singer. And Ella just adores, idolizes her mother. But she doesn't know who her father is. And she doesn't know if maybe her father's white because she is teased a lot for the way she looks and called zebra, et cetera. And so she's trying to get to the bottom of this because she hasn't been given straight answers, she feels. And um, she gets a chance to go up to Boston, spend some time with her mother. And while she's there, she sees the, the stark contrast to how black people are treated up north as opposed to what she's become accustomed to at home. Um, she learned some things about her mother that she didn't um, <clears throat> anticipate. And she also gets some clues as to who her father might be. And so when she goes back to uh, South Carolina, she starts to, those things, she takes those things with her, all the different information with her. But she also finds out that a good friend of theirs, of her family's, George Stinney, has been arrested for the murder of two little girls, two little white girls. Which, and George Stinney was a real person in history. At 14 years old, he was the youngest person ever executed and in the, in the United States. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done uh, work with, I have an organization, Sweet Blackberry, and our mission is to bring inspiring stories of little-known African Americans to kids. 
And while researching that, I, I always come across George Stinney's face as a little known story, but it's not inspiring or empowering. But I wanted people to know about him. And it just so happened that he grew up in a little town outside of Charleston, South Carolina, around the same time that my mom did. So it made sense that I would kind of bring him, weave him into this story, even though at first I had him as like a a memory of another character because I think I was afraid to get into his story too much. Um, But then I ended up bringing him closer into the the foreground. And so that's really what the story is. It follows follows Ella, but it's told through three different perspectives. Ella's her cousin and best friend Henry, and her, who's 12, and her cousin Myrna, who's 14, and sweet on George Stinney. <laughs> and um, so it's told through all of them, although it's really Ella's story most of all. And in telling the story, um, it was a way for me to kind of uh, see why, you know, my mom came away from growing up in the South at that time with this really genuinely happy childhood memories. And I wanted to know more. I wanted to know really the complexities of where she grew up and what it was really like. So I started pushing her for more answers, deeper answers, going into the recesses of her memory, maybe things she didn't think about so much or want to think about. And I wanted to step into her shoes and see what that was like. And so that was what the experience was for me. And to find out, and I ended up, you know, as stories go, when writing things take turns you don't expect and um, ultimately it was a lot about I think I learned a lot about community and family and family not always being what you think it is finding it where you might not expect you know when I started writing when I set out to write How High the Moon I really just I wanted to explore my mother's upbringing a little bit I even though I've worked in history with my sweet blackberry organization I quite honestly hated history as a kid detested history um, because it was all dates and black and white photographs of people that looked like you know I don't know they just didn't they were like profile pictures or the reenactment little sketches everything just and the pages were thin and the words were the print was tiny and it just was like these big, heavy, ugly books, and um, I didn't relate, or it was also abstract. And when I started Sweet Blackberry, I wanted to bring history to kids in an engaging way. And I think with the same thing with when I was writing How High the Moon, when I started, I wanted to step into my mom's world and try to, I wanted to write to understand it. You know, and that's really what I set out to do is to kind of go into it and understand it. It wasn't that I had a fascination with the 1940s or World War II or anything like that. I mean, you know, I was constantly bumping up in writing it and deciding to set it where I, at the time that I did and where I did, I was constantly bumping up against um, more complicated um, situations than I expected to put into the book in the first place. You know, I had a kind of simple story that I wanted this, this girl who maybe was trying to find who her father was who lived in the South at this time. And it became a lot more complex, you know, as things are. But also, you know, every little thing, that every little movement you make in a historic piece, you know, it resonates with that history and everything that goes along with that. So the fact that it was during World War II, suddenly I, at some point I have to address the fact that there are fewer men 
around and what the women are doing in some places, um, picking up jobs that the men had had and getting into things. So the, and those things kind of took on more important areas of the story than I expected. Um, lots of different things, you know. So it was, it started off, the idea really started off as something pretty simple and a lot about seeing what my mom's childhood may have been like because I really felt like I didn't know you know and as a kid I think a lot of us take for granted our you know our parents are there they kind of help us serve us or they're for us and we don't always turn to them and go what about you who are you you know tell me more not they offer what they offer but if they don't sometimes we don't ask a lot of questions I didn't anyway until I got older and then I started really wanting to know I realized I didn't know I wanted to know more. My mother got a chance to read the book. She got a chance to read many <laughs> drafts of the book. My mom was really helpful with um, with me along the way writing the book. You know, she would she was such a great sounding board, um, and I wanted to I really wanted to make sure that things were accurate in terms of the depiction of the, where she grew up. And so um, I felt she was the best place to go for that. I mean, I looked to a lot of other places, but she and her sister, my aunt, were the best places to go to kind of say, does this sound right? Is this, is this accurate? I mean, she was really like, well, I, I, she'd tell me stories, and then she'd read in the, the book or in a draft something and go, wow, that, you know, because it, it came to life for her. So, it, but yeah, so my mom, um, even though my mom, she passed away right after the, shortly after the book came out, she was in the hospital, in her hospital bed, shaking the book at everybody that came through the door. <laughs> she was so proud, and um, and she got to see so much. And my mom was a librarian. I grew up in libraries all the time, and uh, she got to see me go to the Midwinter ALA. And I think, I mean, this is someone who, when I was on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, went to our tapings. I mean, she may have missed a, over six years of tapings. She may have missed a handful. She went every Friday to the tapings. She was always there and, um, and so proud and so excited. But her proudest moment by far was when I went to the ALA. It was so cute. She was so excited for me to go to ALA as a librarian. <laughs> you know, my mother um, was a librarian my whole growing up. And when I was an adult, at some point, um, she was working at a library and heading the Black Resource Center at her library. And she would come across interesting stories um, that, you know, things that she found really fascinating, and she would call me and share them with me. And she called me and she shared the story of Henry Box Brown, the enslaved man who mailed himself to freedom in a box, literally. And I was so fascinated by the story. I couldn't believe this story. And then I couldn't believe I had never heard it. And then I'd tell my friends, and I couldn't believe they hadn't heard it. And I thought, well, this just, this just has to be a book for kids, you know. And so I started making notes because I was going to make a book for kids. And then I would forget about it. <laughs> I'd go back to work or whatever. And, and time would go by, and then I would go back to it. And I would, she would share other stories with me, and I would make notes of those. And I was going to have this whole series of books for kids, and then I'd forget about it. And this kind of went on like this for years. And then when I was pregnant with my uh, first child, I started thinking a lot about 
you know, what do they teach kids in school? And what do I have to teach her? How do I supplement her education with what I want her to know? And I started thinking about, a lot about that and a lot about Henry Box Brown, talking about it a lot. And my husband, who is a, an independent filmmaker, so he doesn't wait for anything. I come from an acting background, so you kind of wait for your audition, you know, your agent to call with an audition, and you wait to hear if you got a call back. And so you're kind of on a passive end. And my husband's the opposite. Independent filmmaker, it's like he writes his scripts, he gathers his everybody, all the troops together, and you know, he invades the subway and doesn't tell people <laughs> things that you're not supposed to. You know, he's just all like guerrilla filmmaking, right? Very different relationship to getting things done. So he got tired of hearing me talk about <laughs> about this Henry Box Brown thing. He's like, you need to stop talking about this. You need to do this. This is important. So, having zero idea of how to do this. And at the time, self-publishing wasn't a thing. So I had no idea how to do it. But I started, I just started asking people, you know, telling people what I was interested in doing. And someone would say, oh, I have a friend who does this, or I know an illustrator who does that, or you should talk to this person. And so people that had nothing to do with what I was ultimately going to do were immensely helpful it was really beautiful like uh, you know I don't know you remember Rolodex <laughs> the good old Rolodex old days I, you know I went through my Rolodex just like talking to telling people what I wanted to do and they would offer whatever help they could or insight they could and I finally came to the conclusion that I could make a little film and uh, I could make a little film about these stories and so it started off as that that's what Sweet Blackberry started off as was telling telling these stories to kids in an engaging way and I really wanted them to be books and they are going to be books next year yay finally but um but at the time I was just producing these films and they're good they're I'm happy with them but I'm very excited that they're going to be books um and then somebody that when the Fresh Prince ended I was writing all the time this is before I had kids this is the in-between stage I just I went to a writing course with um a writer named Jim Jim Crusoe. He's a great writer, and uh, he teaches. And a friend had pushed me to go to his class, and I just was like, oh, this is all I want to do now. And I had time. I had no family at that time. And so I, I had a friend who knew me then uh, as just spending all my days and all my time writing. Flash forward to years later, he's seen me do my sweet Blackberry work along the way, and I bumped into him and we became reacquainted. And at this point, he's now um, a literary agent. Things changed. He wasn't back in the day. He's a literary agent, and um, we got to talking, and then we met one day, and he said, I really think you need to write a novel. Because he had seen all the stuff that I was doing. And so I, I wrote How High the Moon, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was an interesting, it, you know, it was a really nice nudge because um, to be perfectly honest, I, I wasn't really telling people that I wrote, except for my Sweet Blackberry work. I didn't talk about it even then as a writer. I talked about it as a producer. I, writing was just a means to an end. You know, I just needed to get these stories done, so I wrote these things. I, but I, I didn't share with people, except for like my husband and my close friends, um, that I wanted to be writing all the time because I think I thought people would dismiss it. You know, I had... I'd been an actress my whole life, and I, I was known for playing a really kind of ditzy actress, I mean, character at that. So to tell people that I was a writer, I just, just I didn't want to be laughed out of the room. 
So I didn't really share it. And I have to admit, I probably frustrated a lot of people that I didn't even tell them I was writing How High the Moon because I guess I didn't want to jinx things. So I didn't talk about it even as I was doing it. So when the book came out, I had quite a few people go, what? You, you wrote a book? <laughs> Why didn't you ever say anything, you know? And um, yeah, so my bad. My hope for, for How High the Moon is that, um, that it will, is it for, for kids in, in particular, but for everyone, I, I really feel like, because I feel like it's not just a book for kids, but I really do feel like for kids, that they will enter the world, Ella's world, and They, you know, it sounds so corny that they'll be, you know, transported to another time. Like, I mean, that's what books are for me. They just take me somewhere else. I'm lost. And the thing that's so great about, I mean, it was really daunting writing a historical fiction book. But the thing that's so great about it is it's an opportunity to, you go someplace else, but you come out so much richer. You come out with so much understanding. And because it's a book that deals with, um, such horrible racial injustice and ugliness from our our past it definitely i think helps people understand where we live today and what's going on and if we're to get to healing we have to face even the ugliest things and i'm seeing around me more and more that people don't want to look at the ugly stuff they say that's not me that's not us that's i don't know that and they don't want to look at it because it's uncomfortable and and that doesn't just go for people who aren't of color everyone I find doesn't want the unpleasantness of it they don't want to look at it and people ex are exhausted by you know talk of slavery or of holocaust I think people get so tired and, and weighed down and they're uncomfortable with it and it doesn't it makes you you know makes you squirm but it's it's all stuff that's very important for us to know about and um, this Jim Crow era that had some it was not that long ago um, that had a lot of ugliness, I think needs to be understood, but it can, but for kids, if they enter the book, How High the Moon, and follow Ella, who I think is a really fun character, I'm really happy to say, because um, there's fun stuff in the book, too. It's fun and funny and clumsy and kids' world, but it also, it's that world in the 1940s, and so you're just stumbling along with her and experiencing what she experiences in a really organic way. So by the end of it, the understanding all came just through living with Ella, but not through anybody hitting you over the head with a history book. And I love that. You know, I think that that's the best way for us to talk to the kids. And I, and I really hope that it opens up dialogue with, with parents and teachers with kids. It's a great place for that. It's a safe place for that. It's a, a good place to be introduced to certain things. There's some difficult stuff um, that happens that does she does stumble upon in the book that, um, or that Myrna actually literally stumbles upon, that I want kids to be able to say, hey, Mom, I just read this. Tell me more about, you know, lynching. Tell me more about these kind of injustices. I want, um, I want kids to be able to do that and find out instead of just have it kind of be this weird background noise 
uh, that's caused something horrible in life now, but nobody knows exactly why because they're not identifying it, you know, and they don't know who to ask. I hope the book, I hope that How High the Moon can, can help bridge that. A huge thank you to Karen for taking the time out of her busy schedule to chat with me. Thank you to Heinemann Publishing for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to NCTE for providing us a free space to record this interview. Thank you to Philip Stead for creating our theme song. Thank you to my co-host, Travis Yonker, for helping me produce this episode. If you're ever looking for Lake Michigan beach tips and recommendations, be sure to reach out to Travis. I'm Colby Sharp. Thanks for listening.